Dear friends, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By his Spirit, may he open your ears this morning to hear his warning and his promise and to give you peace and faith where you only pretended that they were before. Amen. It's a gruesome story. It's a terrible image. Cutting off legs, severing arms, plucking out eyeballs. But it is what he says to his disciples today. For it is better to lose those parts that cause you to stumble than to miss the entire kingdom of God. And yet we have come to think of the disciples as Jesus' friends, his buddies, his traveling companions, perhaps even his co-workers in establishing the kingdom of God. And of course, we know over and over again that they're not perfect. They're a little slow to catch on, but we excuse them for that, maybe out of protection for ourselves, for we too are a little slow to catch on at times. But today, we find that Jesus' disciples aren't just merely less than ideal, that they don't have just a couple of problems to overlook, but that they are actually more likely to be working against Jesus than to be working for him. It's a hard pill to swallow, but Jesus tells his disciples that it would be better for them to have a great millstone tied around the neck and to be thrown into the sea and to place a stumbling block before any of these little ones who believe in me. I suppose it's a bit like eating eating your first lump of lutefisk. I mean, it looks pretty slimy, and you've heard the stories about how terrible it tastes. It smells a little bit off, but, you know, it can't possibly be as bad as everyone says. You can't possibly comprehend the full experience until you get that slimy spoon right into your mouthful. And then when it hits your tongue, there's no denying the truth of it anymore. What you once thought wasn't all that bad, now you cannot avoid as an unbearable truth. Oh, how awful, stinky. (laughs) How terrible in both sight, smell, taste, and touch. And so in hearing this threat from Jesus today, we come to find that the disciples are far worse than we had imagined. It's a troubling word for us, too, because you also, along with me, have been called to be disciples. Through baptism, you have been chosen, made, claimed a disciple of Christ. And of course, we excuse ourselves. We don't always understand the Bible so well. And yeah, we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, and we haven't loved God fully. We haven't listened to his word, but we can be excused for some of that, we think. At least we hope we can. We admit it. We haven't always been attentive to prayer and gladly hearing and learning God's word as we promised. But we can be overlooked, right? After all, we've just been doing our best. God can't ask more for us than our best, can he? 
Have we really been so bad off that it would be better to have a millstone tied around our neck and be dragged to the bottom of the sea? Can't mean that, but if you listen to his words today, Jesus doesn't seem to be in an it's okay, it's overlookable, we can excuse things kind of mood. In fact, there is something about these stumbling blocks that Jesus is very serious about in a life and death manner. The disciple John, who we heard last week from Pastor John's sermon, was the best, most beautiful and smart among them. Right, John? Came to Jesus and told him, Teacher, we put a stop to someone who isn't one of us because he was casting out demons in your name. And I suppose John was looking to impress Jesus with his loyalty, trying to keep the sanctity of the circle. And that would make a lot of sense if one was trying to build up a brand or to start some sort of a franchise to keep an exclusive movement for just those on the inner circle holding on to the power rather than letting it go. Because you wouldn't want somebody using your logo and confusing people with someone who wasn't properly trained or ordained. They might be giving out counterfeit merchandise, making you look bad. And so John sees this as a kind of trademark infringement, a patent violation perhaps, that this random exorcist is out there using Jesus' name without having the proper license or being properly trained. He hasn't spent the time, John thinks, to be able to cast out demons properly. And after all, just think what might happen if this were to continue. If just anyone were able to use Jesus' name to forgive sin or to cast out demons or to heal the sick. Anyone could start using Jesus' name out there. And people all over the world might have their demons silenced simply at the name of Jesus Christ. That they might begin to trust in a word preached to them by a sinner just because it came from Jesus himself. We wouldn't want that now, would we? But there you have it. That is exactly what Jesus came to do. That is exactly his entire mission on earth. That is his kingdom purpose, is to silence every demon, to comfort every ill, to remove sin and death utterly, that they would have nothing more to say, simply at the name and promise of Jesus. That is that everything we do would bear Jesus' name, even giving a cup of water to someone. And John, the disciple, wants it to stop. And how better to make it stop than to place a stumbling block before someone so that they would never arrive to block their way that they wouldn't get to the kingdom? That is, to trip them up so that they never arrive at their destination. But we aren't just talking about feet today. But we're talking about 
putting stumbling blocks into people's ears, confusing them, telling them that the name of Jesus and his power through us isn't even enough. He's trying to cast doubt then in Jesus for those who believe in him. And that's really what John is playing with here. It's our own problem. We start casting doubt where there should be only faith. And by casting doubt on this other random exorcist, it begins casting doubt not just on him, but also on the name of Jesus. For those who have encountered the gospel of Jesus, for those whom Jesus has claimed for his own, now have a reason to wonder, did it really come to me? Did my baptism actually take root? Maybe I have to do it again. We start casting doubt rather than putting full faith in what Jesus has done for us. Or maybe he's only given us a part of it. And we're going to have to complete it by our own power eventually. By discounting and discrediting this person who's outside of their own group, John is creating doubt in Jesus' name entirely. And so here we come to a good definition of a stumbling block. That is anything that creates doubt rather than faith in Jesus Christ. And I am afraid to say that these words have to come hit us in the ear today because the disciples have always been really good at casting doubt. These days, we often call them denominations, but we know that name has gotten a bad name, so some of them call themselves non-denominations. And they could be Lutherans or Catholics or uh, Protestants or Pentecostals or any of them. But there's always a better shop out there who are thinking they've got it just a little bit closer, a little bit more of the Jesus touch. It's a kind of franchising where we end up protecting our market share by drawing a boundary and keeping people close to us. It's hard when there are differences between churches. But the point of every church is to give faith in God's word. Giving thanks wherever this word of forgiveness is given, be it by the Lutherans or the Methodists or the Pentecostals. Because, of course, Lutherans have no corner on the market here. We do just as badly as everybody else trying to keep the message and the power contained for ourselves rather than letting the word go and do its work bursting forth, removing stumbling blocks, and making Jesus' way plain to each and every sinner. It's our way of controlling the message, but not letting it get out loose on the world, because we don't want any counterfeiting going on. But Jesus is insistent here to the disciples and to his entire church that there is no counterfeit gospel, only counterfeit self-made disciples who turn away from the word of God, from the name of Christ, and to their own power. To John, Jesus says, do not stop him. Stop yourself from causing others to stumble. Always let my name go forth. Always let my word do its own work. 
For we have not come to sacrifice for our own sin, to cut off little parts of ourselves in order to impress Jesus. But we can lose a hand or a foot or an eye if that's what we've come to trust in. We have to get rid of that. And it sounds like drastic measures, but in reality, you have to know this. There is no little bit of yourself you can lose to cleanse yourself from sin. It's going to require a much deeper loss than that. It's not just the offending pieces and parts of your own body that you can choose to lose. Instead, it is going to be an offering for sin made by God himself. Jesus' entire body. He gives himself to clear the pathway for sinners to move aside every stumbling block so that each and every sinner wondering if they have a place does now have a place in the kingdom of God. Just get out of his way. For Jesus loves nothing more than forgiving true, ungodly sinners who have lost their way who are now stuck within themselves. He comes and finds them and says, no, no, what I have given you is all that you need. Especially those who are stuck in themselves and have no hope of a Savior, he comes and finds and says, look to me, not to you. I have done it all. And just look around today at all the sinful disciples he has gathered to himself in order to give this word. Your sin is forgiven, not by your own deeds or your own doings, but by the gracious promise and act of God himself in Jesus Christ. Have salt that comes from him and peace amongst yourselves, trusting daily in his word. Amen.